You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and you can get all the information about my forthcoming stand-up comedy tour from ComediansComedian.com. I'm coming to a town near you, provided you live sort of south of Manchester and within 80 miles of a major city. Uh, I hope I'm coming somewhere near you. All of the details, ComediansComedian.com and click on the link to find my tour dates and schedule. Uh, and you can follow at ComComPod or indeed at Stu Goldsmith uh, on Twitter, where I will be trying to keep you abreast of all the interviews and bits of press I'm doing along the way in an attempt to make this my debut tour the resounding success that I've always believed it might be. Um, thank you so much for your support about this already. If you fancy bringing someone along, uh, remember that I'm going to do a little off-the-record ComComPod Q&A at the end of each show for as long as we can until I get kicked out of the venue. So uh, all details at ComediansComedian.com. This is Nathan Caton, an absolutely wonderful comedian, and as you're about to hear, an incredibly warm, generous, nice, well-balanced person. Let's see if Goldsmith can get stuck in. Where are you in your career at the moment? For people that don't know you, for people, there's a lot of people listen sort of outside of the UK. Yeah. What kind of what kind of level are you at? Did we start around the same time? Yeah, I think we did. Like I like late. 04, early 05? Early 05, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's when, um, yeah, just before my 20th, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. Because um, I think of us as being, like, the same year at school. Do yes. you mean that? that yes, that... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we don't, we haven't gigged together much. No, well, we're both in demand. Hey, there uh, we go, there yeah, we exactly, go. That's what it is. Very positive. <laughs> we'll be coming back to that positivity <laughs> later. But so, so where, where are you? How, where do you see yourself in the, the league tables of, of British comedy? Um... Okay, if it was like if it was like a football analogy, I'd like be, I'd be like maybe an Everton, like on the cusp of maybe breaking into something big, but not quite there yet. Okay, there's a bit more work to be done. Okay, I mean I don't sense. know anything about football. Okay. I don't know why I said league table. Well, I thought I've already put myself in dodgy territory. Well, here. That's pretty <laughs> messed up. No, um, like. I think I'm I'm in all the clubs and stuff like you know I I work the circuit like like a crazy man. Uh I've done a bit of TV and I reckon I'm 
maybe on the cusp, maybe like any of, minute now. Or I need. I'm, I'm. I'm looking for something that's kind of like break me. If that yes, makes sense. Okay. You know? Okay. Like I've done. I've done lovely Apollo. I've done. I think four more of the weeks now. Mm-hmm. Don't want to good news. So people kind of know who I am, mm-hmm. or like, like okay. On, in the in the comedy world, people will know Nathan Kane. Yeah, he's a comedian on the circuit, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, say like, if you ask just an everyday person who Nathan Kane is, they wouldn't know, or they might see my face and go, well, "I think I might, I might have seen him somewhere yeah, before." That okay. kind of thing. Okay. So yeah, it's like um, I can kind of see the promised land, yeah. <laughs> but there's a sea in the way, which I've got to swim over. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um. You, like me, I guess, have seen lots of people start at the same time as us and after us yeah. who have just blazed away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, Sarah Millican. Yeah, yeah, of course. We, yeah, um, I, remember, I remember doing that. I did So You Think You're Funny mm. with Sarah Millican and Kevin Bridges. Okay. Oh, wow, bloody Yeah, hell. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are my two <laughs> go-tos. <them. laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, also loads of other really great comics who've kind of hit different levels of success yeah. well, since then. I did a Moose Moose uh, I was running up to say Millican. Were you really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not bitter. Damn it. No, that's cool. I'm sure she's great. I'm sure it's success. Um, and also uh, Laughing Horse. Remember that competition? Yes, yeah. I do. Who? I, I, Carl Donnelly won the one I was in. Oh, so that was the year after? That was the year after, yeah. yeah. Um, 2006, was it? Uh, yeah, probably was. 2000, yeah. I did 2005. Uh, James Branch? Do you remember him? Yeah, I remember James. Yeah. He was a really good writer. He was yeah. a fantastic writer. I wonder if James is still secretly writing for, for other people. With... <laughs> oh, I don't know who Hills for. Jiggles, he was it. so, my God, James was a great, great actor. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure still is if he turns his hand to it again. Mm. I think James did a, he had like a an editing, I think he edited movies or movie trailers oh, or okay. something. Like he had a really good job yeah. in the meantime, but I couldn't believe, he was the one who, did he win? Did he? Yeah, he won. Joe okay. Wilkinson was second. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, yeah. I see that. I see that. So I'm looking now on Joe Wilkinson. I'm like, ah, yeah. Back in the days, doing Laughing Horse Wimbledon, the, yeah, the, the watershed. So are you? And and you say that with real like you've got a real smile on your face when you say that. Like yeah, like you're not someone who like you're absolutely working the clubs, mm. a completely safe pair of hands as an actor. Yeah, do you know what I mean? You're yeah. like, you're a closer. Yeah. You're a you know you you can do that. You can do the job. You haven't yet. Just like you said, you can see the promised land. Mm. But I think a lot of people in in our kind of position or, or that sort of that duration, yeah, a sort of have had moments of going, "Oh man, is this ever going to happen?" That's what's natural, isn't it? Like it's a human instinct. You think you think oh, I'm doing it for ages now, like a decade. Like surely, where's my where's, where's the door? When's the door going to open for me? But at the same time, it's like well, I've been doing it long enough now to know it's a it's a long grind. You know. it's it's not going to come easy. You got, you got to work for it. So um, yeah, and also like you said, like talking about like Sarah Millican and Joe Wilkinson, I'm happy to see like people from like it's like being in, in the same school as you were saying. Yeah, you see people from your class doing well. It's like yeah, go on, man, you do that. Yeah, thing, yeah, like, right. It's like a family kind of so so to speak. You see someone of your same kind doing well. It's like that's good, man. But not everyone feels like that. And I think the fact that you see it as a family, and we'll come back to family is really representative of something uh, about your comedy, which I've been watching a bit. I listened to oh, a bit of okay. your series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, go on, you, you sound like you know what I'm going to say. What do you think I'm going to say? 
um, but the whole family orientation and kind of like being embedded in that, having that culture in me. Is that, is that what you can uh, say? It wasn't actually. That's in there. Oh, that's okay. in there. We'll, we'll talk about the radio show as well. But it seems to me that that there is something really, having watched a lot of your stuff recently, I've seen you in clubs and stuff, but I've kind of been researching you as a prep for this. Cool. And uh, it seems to me there's something really warm-hearted about the stand-up that you do. There's something okay. really kind about it. There's something really positive about it. Do you think that's true? Yeah, well, I kind of, that's just me as a person, I like to think. I'm a, I think I'm, I'm a good guy. Um, I'm not, I've I, I tried doing like, you know, like a bit edgy or roughy material, but every time I do it, people go, nah, <laughs> come on, Nathan. <laughs> I remember um, oh, a few years ago, my old agent, I did a joke and it was, it was about, it was very blue um, about, you know, what you do to a woman and all that kind of stuff in the bedroom. And I remember doing it and afterwards, my agent was like, you're too nice for that. Yeah, like, you right. Can't, you can't pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's not you. Just stick to doing, you know, topical stuff or jokes about your family, N- nice warm stuff. And yeah, I think, I think that's just, that's just me. I'm not, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a softy, a bit of a teddy bear. Yeah. So you, you've got a bit about, um, a uh, bit about intervening with some lads who are nicking a car or trying to break into a car. Yeah. And yeah. there's a bit where you talk about, like, yeah, you know, because I can be a bad boy. And literally in the setup for the bit, the audience are laughing at the idea of me being a bad <laughs> yes, boy. Exactly. Yeah. So they're going, no, come on, Nathan. No, come, come on, on. mate. <laughs> we know, we, don't, we haven't known you that long, but we know enough to know you yeah. are soft as. Because <laughs> that, and that, I mean, uh, I've just been listening to the episode I was listening to this morning of Can't Tell Nathan Kate Nothing, which yep. is now in its third series. Has it just done three series? that was yeah Thursday was last year last year okay. yeah so there's an episode where it's like a you know it's like he's soft as sh- and then it always gets cut off oh, you know the, yeah, the idea yeah, yeah, of yeah. you being soft yeah. is sort of prevalent in that episode and does that do you mind that or like do you want to be an edgier comic when you were trying this other bluer stuff were you what what why were you trying that stuff were you trying to break um, out of a thing or were you I think I was just experimenting really um kind of just trying to find my voice so to speak um yeah just kind of just i don't know it's just every, every now and again you just kind of have an urge to kind of just play about with stuff you know mm-hmm. i like to kind of experiment with my act and see what i can do um but yeah i'm i'm, I'm now comfortable with who i am yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay I don't, like if, if i'm in a fight i don't mind backing out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come on let's hug it out man come on come by <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I know who I am now. I'm, I'm the big, I'm a big teddy bear who's, yeah. I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm a, I don't want to, you know, be offensive and edgy and stuff. I just kind of like to just be myself and who I am. It's kind of a big softy, really. You know? Yeah. I mean, I might, I do material about maybe something edgy, but it will come from a warm kind of angle, so to speak, you know? Yes. Like, um, like at the moment I've got material like on like the whole terrorism stuff that's going on. But it comes from a different, warmer perspective than okay. a, uh, a harsher, blunter edge. Yeah, think. I've noticed there's a bit of yours about um, uh, Mandela's death. Yeah. There's a bit you did on Apollo. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the premises of the bit, you're, you're talking about wider points about uh, black heroes in the UK, like black icons, yeah, yeah, yeah. hero figures, cultural icons. Um and you're also talking about the experience of racism of like a black footballer having a banana thrown at him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the angle, the line that you take is that that's really antiquated racism. Yeah. And that's like a really <laughs> nice way to approach that topic and talk about it without being kind of 
because I suppose when when you're someone who deals as you do with kind of uh, topical stuff, mm. but not necessarily hard political stuff, yeah. you're able to find like a warm and personable way yeah. of dealing with a difficult issue. Yeah, exactly. That's what I, that's what I want to do. Um, I want to talk about stuff, but I don't want to offend people or like put people off. I want it to be like I want to I want to be charming at the same time as talking about real real stuff. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go right back to the, the beginning. How did comedy come across you? Um, stand-up-wise or comedy in general? Comedy in general, or whichever, whichever came first. I, I knew about comedy um, from probably about seven, something like seven, eight, like a young kid. Um, it's because my family used to watch Lenny Henry a lot. Or, yeah, I or, did, or, or Ainsley Harriet. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, man. Uh, my family used to watch a lot because, um, well, it's, it's kind of corny to say now, but it was because you know because he's black. Yeah, and there wasn't a black comedian before Lenny who was on TV a lot in Britain. Sure. So when he came out and he was talking about you know the whole family stuff and his family come from the West Indies, like straight away, like my family were like, okay, we get that, we can relate to that. So yeah, we kind of Lenny Henry was on a lot. In, yeah, right. In our household. Um, I was a massive fan. I've just remembered all the Delbert Wilkins show stuff that he used yeah. to do. Do you remember the Delbert Wilkins and Spondicious and all the rest of it? Spondicious? Spondicious was Delbert Wilkins' catchphrase. It was, was like it? invented patois. He'd be I like, Spondicious, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember um, uh, there was the old guy in the hospital. Uh, uh, Dekus, maybe? What was that his name? He was like an old Jamaican guy. He's like, my name is... Uh, yeah, and he used to have Dekus. alcohol in his uh, IV bag or something like that. Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe. I think it was a different character. Um, there was a guy in a shop, the news agents. Um, there was the uh, the priest, the reverend priest. Yes, Tried yeah. to be cool. Yeah, that, yeah, I, and I kind of... Oh, my family told me that when I was a kid, I used to kind of copy and imitate it. I don't remember doing it, but they told me that. Okay. Um, and then I kind of like watch other comedians like uh, Eddie Murphy, even though I shouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah. I uh, watch like Delirious and stuff. Um, so then by the time I got to about 16, I kind of, I knew of comedy and it was something that kind of appealed to me because I was that's kind of imitate the comedians that I saw and copy their acts and stuff. Um, actually, my first stand up was when I was, I was 14. I really? Think. Yeah. It was a talent show at my church. Um, okay. I got dared to do some, do like five minute um, spot, and I went on stage and I just did jokes about the people in the church, and then I did a spoof of a Lord's Prayer, um, incorporating again the, the characters from the church and stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I stormed it. So yeah, to speak. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> I was like, the, this story is going to go one of two ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm now banned from the church. Yeah. I'm, I'm an atheist now. Um, <laughs> no. um, yeah, it went well, man. Um, yeah, I remember like sitting down and people were like, oh, well done, Nathan. I was like, oh, I want to do this, man. Yeah, right. Uh, who, why, who dared you to do it? It was like a friend or like yeah, a, okay. A friend. And why do you think they dared you to do it? Because um, I was always joking about and mucking about after church with my friends and stuff. Okay. And there's a talent show coming up, which we had every year. And she was like, instead of joking about all the time, go on the stage and do some, do some stand up. And I was like, all right, cool, I'll do it. Cocky and, teenager. And that is a pretty confident approach to do crowd work. Like, I mean, had you written had you written stuff about notable people in the church or were you just riffing? I'd, I'd written some stuff. You'd written some stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you, I mean, again, it's, that's ballsy, right? Like, I yeah, thought but, you were going to say, so I went on and did some Richard Pryor stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's what kids <laughs> normally do. Yeah. 
you know, if it's like, a, I remember some, uh, like a friend of mine had a a, a brother who, at their, their rugby team's Christmas do, uh-huh. some of the rugby team just lifted a load of We Are Clang sketches. Do you know what I mean? Like, and this, this is like maybe eight, five, six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. Um, but, and they're, they're adults, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. a 14-year-old to go, I'm going I'm to write some stuff. Yeah, actually, I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah, man, that's pretty studious. That's pretty... Uh... No, it wasn't. It was just like this teenage, like, um, just, just no inhibitions, no fear. It's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, right. You know, you're a teenager, you're a cocky, and he's like, yeah, I could do I could do anything. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and that's what I said. Like, I just went and I made some jokes. Um, I ran the jokes by the same person who dared me. Okay. And she was cracking up, so I thought, all right, cool, it must work. And then when I actually did it, it, it yeah, it worked. Um, that's great yeah it's great I, I, so felt, then, I felt like Jesus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the cross going say something what <laughs> you're, you're not allowed back in church <laughs> um, so after that was that was that kind of like this could be a job yeah you you went hang on a minute there's, I've really got something here you, well, I didn't know if I had it, but I thought it was definitely something that I wanted to do. Like the, 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 the horizon is there. You're like, yes. oh, this is a possibility. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, it's like a little light came on. But I didn't say anything. Uh, well, I didn't really say much because I knew my family would, would kind of not be against it, but they were like, you need an education. Yeah. yeah. Pick up a book, study that instead. Yeah. Um. So I kind of kept it quiet for oh, I could, maybe until I was about 17, 18. Um, just put my head down, went back to being a good boy, did my GCSEs, went to college. Um, and the plan was architecture. That's, I'll, yeah, I'll right. That. I knew, yeah, yeah. You were, you were, did you work as an architect? No, I you studied train, it. You trained, okay. I, I did, a, did a degree, architectural technology. Um, yeah, and that was always, that was always the plan. I was like, I'll, just, I'll do that. And maybe I might do comedy as a hobby. Okay. Maybe just, but the plan was, yeah, just do architecture because I was, I was too scared to confront my family and say, no, I'm going to be a comedian. So this is Nathan. It's probably becoming clear that although Goldsmith can get stuck in, uh, he, there is just more layers of nice under the nice. What a good dude. Oh, this stuff about his mum and his kind of emotional place and kind of registering his place in the, in the comedy I, would, I, I tried to, I rejected two words there mentally, uh, firmament and pantheon, <laughs> both of which have overtly religious things. I'm rereading uh, Mike Carey's Lucifer graphic novels at the moment, so I'm thinking in terms of pantheons and firmaments. But nonetheless, what I'm trying to say that is in the world of comedy, uh, Nathan is uh, just such a, such a positive part. And as we talk about, he doesn't sort of really involve him all of that much, involve himself all that much with the comedy world. You don't often see him out on the town in Edinburgh. Um, he's just quietly, diligently putting the hours in, putting the hard yards in and uh, and getting better and better and better. So please seek him out. If you haven't already seen his live stuff, uh, seen him on YouTube or indeed on Mock the Week, uh, do try and catch him on tour. Um, that conveniently leads me to segue onto my own tour, of course. Uh, please do come and see Stuart Goldsmith an hour uh, in a variety of places, which I shall rattle off to you very quickly now. Birmingham, Nottingham, Kingston, Windsor, Crawley, Manchester, Bristol, Southend, Canterbury, Aldershot, Hemel Hempstead, Milton Keynes, Bath, Norwich, Leicester, Northampton, Wolverhampton, Soho Theatre in London, Sutton, and finally the secret Welsh festival that we don't like to talk about. Now, I've been getting weekly sales reports on these shows. Some of them, I'm so excited to report, uh, have sold as much as 35%. And that doesn't sound much, but if it's a 100 capacity room, that's 35 of you. You're the people buying tickets to this. You're the people 
people who want to come and see me and support me, and I really appreciate it. Not every single venue is uh, doing quite as healthily as that, uh, and I'm, I'm confident as well, because it's still a month away, that um, that we're going to sell out at least a few of them. Bristol's looking good, South End's looking fabulous, Manchester I've got a lot of confidence in, Excess Malarkey, brilliant club. Um, if you are in London, please do come along to the Soho Theatre. This show is an absolute belter, and I would like to lean on your... What will I lean on? Not your charity. Don't do me any favours. It's just a great show. So if you want to come along and see it, all the details are at comedianscomedian.com and it is packed with all your favourite Jack Reacher, Wagamama, Costa Coffee, Dementia, Map My Run material. Um, And it's not about anything. Or is it? No, it isn't. Uh, more waffle uh, after the podcast. I'm kind of quite getting into the, the spirit of, uh, of doing increasingly long uh, rambling sections after the podcast. Uh, thank you to all of you for putting up with those. I've had some very nice comments about them on email, info at comedianscomedian.com and indeed on Twitter at comcompod. But uh, I'm very lucky to not have had any negative comments on them, which I assume is because if you've got a minute into them and thought, well, this is balls, um, then it's not material or anything. It's just me talking. So uh, presumably those people who've got a minute in and thought, oh, this is not for me, can just tune out. And you've already got this sweet ass free content from comedianscomedian.com. If you'd like to support the show, please continue doing so. Um, I, I don't want to hammer you with too many messages at once. We've got a few T-shirts left if you'd like the famous ComCom Pod T-shirt. And remember, if you're one of the people who's bought one of them, uh, you can tweet me a picture of you wearing it in the place where you listen. So we've had dog walkers and runners. Um, I really hope that guy... Do you remember that guy who was a, a dentist who said that the podcast had helped him a couple of years ago? I think he was Australian. He said that the podcast had... Uh, helped him kind of hone his ability to give lectures to dental students. I want to see that guy with a ComCom Pod t-shirt uh, on a photo of him in a, a dental lecture hall, if if such a thing exists. Um, so, uh, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm like going, hey, just track down Nathan, track down my tour. Uh, you can still be a member of the cavalry if you want to put up posters in your place of work, if you're in one of the towns I'm coming to. Thank you so much to those of you who've done that. And, of course, you can support the show financially if you so desire, if your heart desires. Um, I'm still in a very uh, <laughs> Lucifer graphic novel oriented whatsoever your heart desires. Follow me down to the briar. Oh, I've got no idea. <laughs> there will be. I'll explain for those of you who are unfamiliar with the show. I now have a two week old baby. He is a little miracle. And. The me time, the dad time that I'm getting to enjoy is precisely 20 minutes of reading a comic book on the toilet per day. Uh, I will tell you more about that in the ramble at the end of the show. But let's get back to Nathan. Is there anything else? I always bah, 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 bah. I tell you these various things and then I always thank you to my pod uh, gremlins, uh, Ryan and Livy and Ben and uh, Emily and... Other Ben, two different Bens. They wouldn't have known. I could have just said one Ben. Um, thanks for your help with uh, with logging this show and the ones like it. We've got loads coming up. I believe next week is going to be Hari Kondabolu, so there's plenty of time to watch a load of his stuff on YouTube and indeed download Hari's special Waiting for 2042, 48? Not sure. Search Hari Kondabolu, you'll find it. Um, it is just the quintessential, fiery, young, vigorous political very very funny album and as you'll hear in our conversation we talk in detail about the recording of that album and the the response which if you listen to it you're going to hear a lot of people whooping and cheering as well as laughing and we get into the mechanics of whether Harry's happy with that and uh, and exactly what the circumstances were of that recording so 
Do your homework, download the album first, and you'll get much more out of that podcast. That will do me for now. Let's get back to Nathan. What a lovely sausage. Nathan K. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Was it real pressure or was it perceived pressure on your part? You were like, I'm too, like you, you're nervous about saying, look, I want to be a comedian. Yeah. You didn't actually have a moment of saying, I might, I might jack in the architecture college and... and yeah, I, I didn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like that. It was just, I think it was just more what I thought the expectation of me was. Yes. So yeah, it was more perceived and I just thought the good thing for me to do would be to just get an education because that's what my family have always drummed into my head from like a young age. Nathan, like, you are such a good boy. <laughs> you are, <laughs> such, you are such a good man. Just grow a pair of testicles, Nate. Um, <laughs> yeah, cause, no, because the thing is, I, like when I was growing up, most of the time it was always pick up a book, pick up a book. You know? yeah. I'm, I'm bored, pick up a book. Yeah. You know, I'm hungry, pick up a book. <laughs> Any little thing. <laughs> And so, yeah, I kind of thought, you know, education is vital and I don't want to let them down. So, yeah, I went, did, went to college, uni, and then it was, um, it was at university when I kind of thought, I, I, I want to do something now. Um, I didn't quit the degree, though. I, I finished it. But after my first year of studying during the summer holidays, I thought, mm, I'll just give it a go now. Um, okay. And where did you choose to give it a go? What was the first... Uh... Uh, I don't know what the name of the comedy night was. I know the venue was called Bar 187 in Old Street. Uh, I'm trying to think of it. I can't picture I, it. I don't think it lasted more than five gigs. Okay. It was really bad. Um, it was That's so a, funny. Do you remember, that's just made me think those early days of when you're booking gigs. Gigs spring, You don't realise that gigs spring up and exist and yeah. then die. Yeah. And you're like, oh, have you done so-and-so? And then like two months later, people are like, never heard of it. What are you but, talking about? And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm in there with Bar 187. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got five minutes, man. Um, yeah, it's weird because I, I, I was in Time Out. Remember, remember when you had to buy Time Out magazine? Yes. Yeah, you had to see, buy Time Out magazine and there were phone numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to this to another comedian the other day, um, a newer comedian, and they were talking about like, like they go on Facebook and stuff around like, the forums and, get, and they get gigs. Yeah. I was like, wow, you, you guys are so spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> you had to, you you had got... to spend money on the Time Out. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you had to ring a human and yeah. convince the human that you had exactly, uh, the material. And, and they can hear in your voice. Yeah. <laughs> you had to ring Pete Graham at the key's yeah. head and go, I've definitely got five. And yeah. you'd go, do you? Yeah. Go, no, I haven't. Sorry. <laughs> that happened with me and Julia Chamberlain. Yeah, uh, okay. Um, this is when I first died. She's like, 
it was like, are, she's like, are you good? I was like, yeah, man, I'm great. And then I did a gig and, and she just didn't say, say anything to me afterwards. Like, you're not that great, are you? Oh, man. <laughs> um, it's cool. That was years ago. Now she's cool. She books me. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've rebuilt that bridge. <laughs> um, but yeah, that gig, 187. Um, yeah, bought time out. Call him up. Said, yeah, come down. It's a guy called Wayne something. Not Wayne at the Comedy Cafe. Different okay. Wayne. He's a big guy. Yeah, I went to this gig and there was only about... Oh, there's maybe eight acts and maybe about six, seven punters. Right. Um, which at the time I was like, I don't care. This is it's stage time. And it was in a little bar. Uh, there's a stage in the middle and then there were people playing pool behind the stage and then they drew a curtain to kind of like section it off. Um, and then I just went on stage enthusiastic, man. Cause like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't care about, there've been more acts than punters. Like, you're, yeah. you know, like, we're like, the more you do comedy, like, the more kind of, not peeved off, but the more, like, enthusiastic, in a way, you kind of get like, if I, like, if I were to do a gig now, and there were eight acts, there's no more acts than punters, I'd be like, I don't want to do this gig. Like, yeah. There's got to be a ratio of at least 10 punters to one comedian, otherwise I don't want to do the gig. Um, yeah, but I've never I, heard it expressed as a ratio before, but that's perfectly reasonable. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. Though, like, it's like, yeah. if there's like if it's a one man, if it's a preview and it's just you and there's ten people, that's a gig. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to be a ten to one yeah, exactly, ratio. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if there's only if there's five acts and forty nine people, I'm not going on stage. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I went on stage and uh, did some awful material. Uh, the premise it was about. I was 19, so it was about young guys trying to pull girls in a club. And I don't remember the whole team. I just remember one line where there's a girl at the front and I went, hey, baby, do you like chocolate? Do you want to try some? And that was the punchline. But I should point out, for the podcast, I'm black. I can say that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't walk around with confectionery. <laughs> hey, baby, you want a Kit Kat? Let me get your number. Yeah, that would have been a joke. Yeah. Do you like chocolate? Do you want to try something? There's a Kit Kat. What were you thinking? <laughs> See, yeah, if only I had that, that kind of writing yeah. skills when I was 19. Um, yeah, I was just as cocky as, you know, as awful. Um, but as bad as it was, I liked to be on the stage. Yeah. So, yeah, even though I died, I felt... You, 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 it was a death, was it? Oh, yeah, it was awful. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Like, if I could... If I could, if I was there, seeing my 19-year-old self, I would have, like, booed and said, psst, bruv, come never off stage, do this, man. Never just, do this Yeah, again. just come off, man. Sit down. Here, pick up a book. Listen to your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, but it was, it, was, it was a death. It was awful. But I liked the fact that I was, I was on stage. I felt good about being on stage. I don't know, it's like maybe just a bug of, like, feeling comfortable on the stage in front of people. I just needed the material to go with that confidence. Did you feel confident and happy off stage as well? You know, a lot of comics kind of get into it and actually they're, they're trying to fill some sort of a void. Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't say voids too much. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, was I confident on the stage? I kind of. Um, well, mm, I reckon... Mm, was it? Oh, it's hard to say. All right. I think maybe I was trying to do comedy, not trying to do comedy, but off stage, I used comedy to fill, not an emotional void, but to cover up emotions. That's the word. Which emotions? Hurt. All right. The reason why, because when I was 12, this is what I did in my, in my last Edinburgh show. No, yeah, yeah, last year, Teenage Mutant Evan Kane. 
my mum went through a really bad breakup with my younger brother's dad. So it uh, would have been my stepdad. And it was like proper, like awful. Like I, my mum was like in the worst I've ever seen in my life. And I kind of used comedy to make her laugh, to kind of cheer her up. And I reckon that was kind of something that kind of just stayed with me. Even, yeah. even probably even now to this day, because my girlfriend still says, you know, why, why do you was making jokes for? And again, it's just kind of like a, a reflex tool. But I think, okay, that's too emotional. Joke. Yeah. So I reckon that's, that's that's too emotional for them, like they're feeling sad. So I'll do a joke, or it's too emotional for you to have to let in the emotional bit. So you do a joke. Who does the reflex save? Does it save them, or does it save you? I reckon it saves me. Yeah, anything too emotional, I'm like, oh, I can't deal with that. And I think off stage, that's how it was. Like, I kind of, I hid my emotions underneath the humour. The humour just covered everything up. Do you still do that now? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise I'd do it, but my, my girlfriend tells me that I do it all the time. So she gets frustrated because she can't, what, because she can't talk about real stuff with you? Like, what, what kind of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm. what kind of situations, what kind of emotions are you trying to avoid? Are you trying to avoid anger? Are you trying to avoid sadness? Probably sad. No, not anger. I, it takes a lot to really get me angry. I think there's just more sadness. Because of everything that's happened in my life, I just think I don't want to tap into that kind of area, that sadness again. So over, over your over the mum's over your mum's breakup. I think that's when it started. When I was about yeah, eleven, twelve. Um and So so it wasn't just a case of her being sad, but presumably the knock on effect from that was that you you felt sad. You yeah. had yeah. Yeah. Well I felt sad because I saw my mum in pain. Yeah. And that just tripped me out. And if you make her laugh, then she feels better, so you feel better. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a it's like a smoke screen. So like even that, Thank yeah, you. Now. That's man. In something like 150 episodes, no one has said. No one's kind of described it in that way. Yeah, yeah. That's I think always. that's really that's really honest. Have you? Uh, we, we know you make a lot of jokes about your family. Have mm. you? You said you covered this or some of this in some of it in my in uh, teenage mutant Nathan Cage, yeah, which is one of the most painful puns <laughs> I think I've ever heard. I loved it. But I love the turtles. <laughs> Big man. turtles fan yeah. as well, man. Uh, which turtle were you most like? Who was your? Which was your favorite? Oh, I, I would have said Raphael because I want to be a bad boy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm soft as. So truth is, I'm, I'm Donatello. Same, same. Yeah. <laughs> that, that geeky kind of good boy kind I, of. Yeah. I would have. I wouldn't have said like Michelangelo is the one everyone likes because he's like the funny, the funny one. one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just was like, come on, you're pathetic. You know, you're, you're, it's, I, I was better at emotionally analyzing the reality of the turtle's life. Like, okay, Michelangelo, <laughs> he's giving it all this. Actually, I'm more like Donatello, whilst behaving like Michelangelo. Great. <laughs> so, sorry, to the, for the benefit of the listener, you could look all this up online. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is going to mean very little Lisa's for a lot. turtles, man. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you're, so you covered this in the show. How close mm. did you get? How much? Because I didn't see that show. Mm. But how much did you dig into it? How much... For you, how much of your comedy is, there's an emotional thing, that's a starting point, here are some jokes, mm. and how much of it is, let's really get into the meat of this? Before 2014's Edinburgh, not a lot, like barely. Like, I didn't show any of that emotion. But in 2014, I kind of, yeah, I dug deep into it. Uh, so much so that I, I cried at my, my first preview of it. 
and burst into tears because uh, so I didn't. It hit me. I was like, I did not see that coming. And uh, yeah, I asked because at the end I, I can explain because <clears throat> the show was about 2014. Tim and about um, me not being able to walk my mum down the aisle. She, she, got, she got married, mm. and I didn't give her away. And it really annoyed me that she didn't choose me. She chose her half brother from Canada. And I was like, well, why wouldn't you choose me? I'm the prominent man in your life. I've been here for 30 years. Like, you know, um, my grandma didn't want to do it. My little brother didn't want to do it. So I thought, I'm her eldest. I'm the, I'm, I'm the obvious one. And it was proper, like, it was like a stab in the back. From I felt on my mum's behalf, like, are you stabbing, why wouldn't you choose me, mum? So I kind of talked about why I was so hurt by it. And it was because of everything that happened with my mum when she broke up. I kind of felt a duty that I need to um, just protect her, so to speak. Because when she broke up, it was just her, me, and my little brother. So I was like, I felt like, okay, I'm the man here. I'm going to protect you guys. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I was talking about that in my first preview, yeah, it just, it all came out and I started crying. How did that feel to be crying on stage? Did Weird. You, did you keep, you kept going? That was like at the end of the show, during the show? Yes, uh, in, in the last five minutes. Okay. Last five minutes, and then I do a routine, which kind of brings the laughter back. But yeah, the first time I did a preview, like I thought, yeah, I could, I could say this on stage, it'd be fine. But then when I was actually on stage, that first preview and I said it, it just, it just all came out, man. It was weird. Um, the audience, they were, bless them, they were loving, they were cool. And afterwards, like, he was, uh, the company was like, for us, it's so, it's quite amazing to see that kind of emotion. That's, that's real. Um, but for me, I got back in the car and I was like, what the hell just happened there, man? Because, yeah. yeah, it just, whoa, just, yeah, just wasn't expected. And then I did another preview. I mean, I, I didn't cry after that, <clears throat> afterwards, because I, I think once I, I just let it out, because I'd never said it out loud before. So it's like, <clears throat> maybe, maybe it's like all those years just been bottled up inside. Saying it out loud, it was, boom, everything just came out, all the tears came out. And after that, I was fine. But um, I did previews afterwards. And after, like the compares would come up to me and go, mate, that was that was deep. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that's probably the first time I tapped into like the whole emotional stuff of yeah. the show. And doing, doing it in Edinburgh, I think people either I think people either loved it or hated it. In that they'll like that I was so real and so emotional. But then some of the reviews they were like, it got too serious. Like not that check reviews, but just seeing what they were saying, that like it got too serious. So it was like, people have a, tapped into it and understood that I was being real, or people like, that's too much for a comedy show. That's just, considering that you've been funny for like the previous 50 minutes, all of a sudden, you've just gone, whoa. We weren't ready for that. Did you tour that show? No. So you're, you're on tour at the minute? No, no, no. My next tour is until next autumn. Okay. So would that be your first one? Tour still- Tour wise, sorry if Nathan, K- sorry if Teenage Mutant Nathan K- Nathan Caton. Sorry, yeah. I can't say he's a bit of a mouth. <laughs> the uh, uh, if Teenage Mutant Nathan Caton was your show from 2014, yeah, and it didn't tour. So did you tour this year's show? No, already no. No, but you're planning to. Well, I'm planning to write a new hour. Whether bits of this show, okay, or last year's show gets into it. Okay. Um. So did your mum see the Ninja mm, Turtle show? No. No. Did she know about it? She found out afterwards. I didn't say anything before because I don't think I could have handled it. I kind of just 
kept it to myself. The only person that I told was my girlfriend. Okay. And even then, I I told her very little. Like, I was like, just wait until you see the show and you'll get... Because obviously, I remember, I think we were having a conversation about why I always make jokes and stuff. Like, you've never been emotional. You know, some girls, girlfriends can be. And I was like, wait until Edinburgh, see the show, <clears throat> and you'll get... You, you'll have more answers. You, you'll see why I am... Why? How? What? You see why I am like I am. Um, why I like to joke about rather than being emotional. And she saw it. She was like, "Ah, uh, I get it." So, would you like your mum to see that show if you could get over it? If you'd recorded it? No, I haven't recorded it. I, mm. No, I mean, if you had, oh, hypothetically, if I had. would you? Would you like sit her down with it and leave the house? Yeah, I, I could. I know I could watch it with her because I might just break down. God, man. So have you spoken to her now that she knows what the content of the show... I mean, that's almost worse if she knows that it was about her but hasn't seen the stuff. She knows roughly that obviously the show's about me being angry or upset, but she doesn't know about how emotional it it gets. She doesn't know. I think if she saw that, she would probably break down in tears, then I'd probably break down in tears from seeing her cry. Would that... Would that be good, ultimately, that after you'd both cried, you'd go, okay, I'll get it now? Maybe. Maybe it might be, just need to just let it all out, both of us. But, I don't know, I, I guess I'm maybe a bit, a bit too scared to take that risk. Yeah, because you're, and it's really interesting hearing you say that about a 12-year-old boy feeling like you've got to be the man of the house. Yeah. I'm sure that's happened to a lot of different yeah. families in a lot of different situations. Um. I wonder how much of that is still with you now that you feel like on some level you still are her main protector. Like yeah. she's remarried? Yeah. But I, I still feel, yeah, like I'm... You're the one that's definitely going to be there still. Like you can't yeah. divorce him up. Yeah, well, <laughs> Do you know what I'm, I mean? I'm still living in a house. I'm not... I'm not planning... uh, yeah, of course you are. I'm yeah, not planning yeah. to move with house prices at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe... I mean, that is... I read your blog about the house prices. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll come on to that. Um but that is particularly intriguing, I think, that you wrote a really meaningful story about your mum and your relationship with her, and she hasn't seen it, and you live with her. Yeah, well... So you weren't pacing around your bedroom saying the script out loud in case she could hear it. No, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Note to self, Nathan, record this. <laughs> no, 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 I just, yeah, I kind of, I hit it well, um, because, well, I hit it well, because most of the time I'd just, just be, like, joking about with my mum. That's yeah. the one, when I'm at home... Um, which isn't a lot I'm always gigging but when I'm with my mum I start to kind of just joke about her and take the mic yeah. and that's that's my way of being close to her rather than the whole emotional stuff okay so this year's the, the most recent show mm. um, straight out of Middlesex yep that's me um, <laughs> would, did that did you take lessons from the con- tapping into the emotional stuff into the next show how did it mm. change I mean you're not you know you didn't that's fine too I'm not saying <laughs> to show you're working out Nathan <laughs> But like, did it did it change the way you wrote? Having had that experience, and gone, oh, I've I've gone somewhere different. Um, I it kind of put me off being emotional again because because it got such a divided, I think, opinion. The emotional stuff. I thought I'd go back to what I know. So I just, this year's show was just an hour of just stuff, topical stuff, some family stories. And it was more more of a feel good thing, more of a just kind of an hour of ha 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 ha, rather than a story with an emotional thing at the end. It was more just okay. This I don't think I can handle 
<laughs> emotion two years in a row. Yeah, this next show's about my little brother. Oh, God, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I love him. He's like my best friend. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, this year's show was just back to basics. So you see your role as a comic is purely to make them laugh. It doesn't matter if you... Um, no, well, I like to make people laugh, obviously, but also kind of make them think a little bit. Um, so if I'm doing jokes that I'm about something covering the topical, it's my opinion on it, and I want people to laugh, but I also want people to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, and do you think that. comedy can change people's minds? Can it just raise the subject? Yes, or, I think so. But, okay, it can raise the subject. Can it change people's minds? Can you...? Um, possibly. I mean, yeah, that, I think if if it's been talked about enough... And you deliver like a pinpoint, like you know, set on it or delivery. Then I think, um, yeah, it does have the potential to change people's minds. Whether it will, obviously, yes, don't know. But I think comedy is comedy is a, it's a powerful tool. Laughter is a powerful tool because everyone laughs. So I think it can be done. That's really interesting, man. I'm really interested about the stuff about your mum, the personal nature of it, mm. and the fact... <laughs> just saying your mum then reminded me of how much material you've yeah, got about, about your, your mum. Jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How funny is that? <laughs> you should have called the show yeah. your mum. <laughs> I did. I wanted, to, I wanted to call my show... Uh, when is it? It was either between your mum or Teenage Mutant Nathan Caton. No, what, what, was, yeah. what informed the decision? Why did you decide this? Because uh, my agent was saying your mum is too aggressive. Oh, I think that's a real shame. Yeah, I, I would have loved it. Like, I reckon I could, I could have seen myself doing a tour called Nathan Caton, your mum. Yeah, that's I funny. Loved it. That's yeah. funny, right? Um, is this the your previous agent, the agent that made yeah. that decision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about that or yeah. would you rather not? Oh, if you want, I don't mind. You, got, you were one of the people who got shed. Yeah, like yeah. They're your, You were with a particular agent yeah. and they got rid of, they changed their business model. Yes. And dumped a lot of really good acts. Mm. How did that feel? Weird, because nothing was said. There was no exp- explanation for it. Like, um, if the agent had come out and said, listen, um, I'm starting up my own production company, so I just want to focus on that, then I would be like, okay, fine, I understand that. You, you want to you go in a different direction, that's cool. But because there was nothing, n- no word, just from just axed, it was like, what's going on? She goes was crazy. Was it like an email? I got, an, yeah, no, I got an email because um, I was emailing the person who was looking after me, my agent at that whole company. I was emailing her because I was getting, um, I've only enough. There's one time where I got a bit frustrated because I was doing my Radio 4 stuff, but then nothing else. Like there was, when I joined them, there was like, oh yeah, we can get you this doing that on the whole TV stuff, all that. And then there was nothing. So I emailed them saying, um, what's going on? I'm, a, I'm now getting a bit frustrated. Like finally my breaking point, I was like, What's going on? Like, I'm, the only work that I'm getting is the stuff that I'm doing myself. I had the radio for when I joined you guys. What are you guys bringing to the table? And then she emailed me back saying, yeah, we understand your frustration. Um, we think it's best if you find alternative representation. Just like that. Wow. And I remember it was my brother's 18th birthday and I was sitting there going, yeah, I've just been, I've just been dropped. Wow. Um, my, my and what a like, way to do it as well. That does suggest, like, I feel like if that had happened to me, I'd have been like, 
oh, well, if you felt like that, why didn't you tell me that a year ago and yeah. let me get, you know, whatever my last year's worth of work out. In exactly. fact, I've had a similar, a similar but different sort of a, an experience mm. where I think from the point of view, it's fun, we don't, we don't talk about representation, representation much on uh, this show for obvious reasons, I suppose. Um, but the, I think something I, I have heard various agents say mm either when they've been looking after me or when I've just been chatting. You know, once you've been in the business for a while, yeah, you yeah. sort of know various people that previously you wouldn't have spoken to. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that guy's my mate now. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's quite fun. <laughs> um, but I feel like there is an understanding, almost like a misconception amongst agents, because they have several... I mean, it's the old thing actors used to say, you know, they've got loads of clients, you've only got one career. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So yeah, you've got yeah, to yeah. be someone who's sort of looking out for you. Mm. But I think agents, because they deal with lots of clients over a broad you know, amount of time, like maybe when, when a new comic encounters an agent, the agent's been an agent for 20 years, they know how it works. Yeah. I think sometimes they assume that comics know how it works. Yeah. I don't know how you felt, but I've always felt like, oh, God, I don't... I mean, if I do this, am I supposed to ring? Should I say anything? Should I not say anything? Yeah, what yeah, yeah. The repercussions? yeah. And then Definitely. you do something like that and go, hey, I'm, I'm like... I'm very slightly frustrated. Yeah. Well, then you dropped. Yeah, what? exactly. Yeah, it was like a ball from the blue. It's like, oh, all right, gosh, jeez. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was weird. But given that I'd heard stories about other acts being dropped leading up to this, sure. when it happened, I was like, okay. So it wasn't, I wasn't as angry as maybe I would have been or hurt as I would have been. And I suppose from from your own sort of description of it, if nothing was happening anyway... Exactly. You know, you'll be, all the stuff you've got, you've got yourself, yeah. you've got it, you know. I'll just carry on doing the gigs that I've been booking myself. Thank you yeah, very right. much, that kind of stuff. And you're a big, uh, like you, you've mentioned a couple of times uh, already, just sort of conversationally, gigging all the time. Mm. Like, are you, how many nights a week do you try and gig? Um, at the moment, maybe I'm six, maybe seven. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all, all the time. In fact, I was put on a list yesterday, um, top 20 hardest working comedians in the UK. On what list? What was this one? Ents twenty four. Okay, like okay. Oh, they're the people that like they. You can put someone's name in, and they'll tell you whenever. whenever yeah, you exactly. Get okay, right. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I think that's why I thought you were on tour because I was googling you, and one of the sites that came up was Ents twenty four seven, and okay. it said cool, cool. Nathan Caton so and so, Nathan Caton somewhere else. So I was like, oh, that's a tour. No, no, and no. And actually, that's just a, just, just, just gigging. A yeah. hard working man's diary. Yeah, a person yeah. who hasn't got a life. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what? So tell me about that. I've certainly been through phases of just working as much as is humanly possible like yeah, to yeah. a to a monahan extent which has advantages which has drawbacks as mm. well um have you always been someone like that you just like fill the diary fill it fill it fill it um yeah i think so yeah i've always, well just in life like before i started doing comedy i've always been a hard-working person um Again, now yeah, it's comes... basically doing architecture college is sort of cheating as training for college. <laughs> I always think whenever I get this with Oxbridge people as well, whenever anyone's been to Oxford or Cambridge or been a doctor, I'm like, this is completely unfair because you have such an accelerated work ethic compared to everyone else. You can we tie some lead weights to you or something? Um, yeah, yeah, I've, I've been, I've, I think. I like to think I've always been hardworking, um, and, and that stems from my family because they they work amazingly hard so just seeing that it kind of just felt like the norm that's what you that's what you do you've got to work hard to get where you want to be in life so um doing comedy yeah just the diary just fill it fill it like cause, and also it helps that i enjoy what i do you know I, I love it like i like 
writing new material and going on stage and trying out and seeing if it works and stuff. Um, so yeah, that kind of, that helps me work harder. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just something that I can, it's part and parcel of the game. You have to work hard if you want to get anywhere in it. Do you have a similar methodical, a similarly methodical approach to writing? Are you a uh, get up in the morning, put the hours in? What does it look like? What does your writing process look like? It's changed uh, over the years. Like before, I would kind of wake up and <clears throat> um, I'll make an effort to just sit down in front of a laptop or a notepad and actually write stuff. And I would write the joke out word for word. Um, yeah, I did that for a few years. But then I kind of noticed that I'd, uh, I'd write the joke out, learn it like it was a script go on stage and obviously when you're on stage it's totally different it's a different animal like things happen like people might say something your, your flow is different and then I say it come back and listen to it and I realise that I've said it in a completely different way which is funny and still works to how I wrote out the joke so um, I kind of I've, I've stopped doing that instead I'll just make bullet points of things that I know I want to talk about and how it comes on stage is however it comes on stage and I listen back to it and I'm like okay that's how it is so. Okay, so you so you make the bullet points of the things you want to talk about, mm. and you trust yourself now to just go on it like a new material night. Yeah, 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 and just talk about the stuff. Yeah, and see if any of it's funny. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Rather than writing out like a script, I don't want to be I don't want to be rigid in that script. A bit, yeah. Have a bit of flexibility. Say what you want. Um, in terms of writing, like I try and write every day. I write at least one new bit every day. Um, even if I don't sit in front of a laptop or a newspaper, I'll I'll be sitting like maybe having some food or something, and uh, I'll be on my phone because you can do anything on your phone now, innit? Go on BBC News, whatever, see some topics, and then I'm like, okay, I can talk about that. What can I talk about that? You know, um, like at the moment, uh, like, the obvious one is like Donald Trump, yeah, because uh, that's just that's just a comedy gift, innit? Yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, what can I talk about Donald Trump? And then I'll just in my head instead of writing it down, I'll make mental notes. Okay, that 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 that. Okay, what can I say about that? What can I say about that? So kind of instead of writing it down, I'll just I'll just maybe just sit there, right? And I'm, in my head, I'm writing. If that yeah. Makes okay. Sense. Okay. And then I'll do it at a gig, and then once I've got it, then I'll write it down. So it's yes. kind of it's like I've reversed from how I first started. Yeah. When I first sure. started, I'd write it all down. Whereas now, I kind of do it in my head, blurt it out, and then come back and write it. Okay. Okay. And have you ever written with anyone else? Have you written for other comics or with other comics? Um, I've written for some comics for... Um, what's the Channel 4 show? Stand Up for the Week. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I wrote for that um, a few years ago. I haven't written with anyone for my own stand-up. Because um, I've not been snobbish, but I kind of like to I think stand-up's got to come from you, innit? It's got, it's, it's, you're the only one that's on stage. You know? It's how you feel. And so I kind of think... I was, that's not that I don't want to work with other people, but it's just my thing. Is yeah. that the same when you've done Mock the Week as well? Because as I understand it, with Mock the Week, you get like a massive dossier yeah. of all the okay. stuff. I'm going to lie. I have used that as a... I'm, okay. I'm okay. cheating on that I'm one. Not, I'm not trying um, to catch you yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> but, Damn you, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but the, the stand-up bit in Mock the Week, that's yeah. all, that's my stuff. Of course. Okay. Um, but then like, the other, like, the uh, scenes we'd like to see, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, I've, I've used that for that stuff. Okay. Um, how does that feel if you're so used to doing the stuff purely from your own voice did it feel like you're wearing someone else's clothes or was it not a problem at all um it's 
It's um, I don't mind like using other people's jokes for that for the scene stuff. I reckon it's more of how the process of it. Like, do you meet up and write? Do you just do emails and stuff? Because I'm, I'm so not used to that. I'm just used to the kind of just um, just doing my own thing, just sitting down and writing in my own time or writing how I want. So I think it's just I think more the process is where it's like, do we meet up? You know, that 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 that, that feels more like tricky to me than actually just saying the jokes yeah okay okay so when you're when you're looking at a subject like Mm. donald trump or a story about your family or something you get the starting point Mm. and are there particular things that you do are there things that you kind of catch yourself doing each time to pull the funny out of a subject have you got like kind of principles or, or rules or just a certain angle of attack um Hmm. Have I got certain angles? Um, I try and do something that's well. I always try and do something that's obviously funny, fresh, coming from a weird angle that no one else is coming at, or people won't come at. Um, and like if I'm doing something about my, if I'm doing something about my family, like I might have like the end punchline that I know I want to get to, but it's just how I get there that I need to work out. Okay. Um, and then if I'm doing something like topical stuff, I might have a point that I want to make, but again, it's how I get there. Okay. Can you give me an example from a, like a recent bit? Um, okay. What have I got about Donald Trump? Oh, okay. Yeah. I talk about how I, I want Donald Trump to win because I want us British people to look at our politicians and go, could be worse. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so I'm explaining, but I'll, yeah, so I've got, to, I've got to justify why I want him to win. Yes. And it's about how I get to that point. Okay. Um, so that people go, oh, okay, I get what he means now. It's not because he supports him. It's because yeah, he's... Sure, yeah, sure, sure. That kind of thing. Um, and are there, are there things that you catch yourself doing and think, I did that last time? Do you know I mean? Do you recognise kind of habits? Jokes. And stuff. Yeah. Well, not. I don't mean the exact wording of the joke, yeah, yeah. but like you know, f- joke formats almost. Um, I did, actually, I actually did did that on a one Donald Trump bit when I was he was talking about um how some parts of London aren't safe to go, mm. and then I wrote a joke and I was like, wait a minute, that's the same kind of joke as I've used for another bit, just a different word, just different place. Right. Okay. What was the um, What was the shape of it? What was the shape uh, of that particular joke? It was talking about how some places are a dump and how you can't go there. But I just I just changed the place. So, <laughs> so, it was. so instead of using London, I said maybe I I would have said Birmingham or Manchester or something like that. Okay. So it's like it's a template. It was the same template, just. Yeah, so how did you react to that? Did you go, oh, I can't use it again? Or did you go, oh, I've changed it enough? Um, I, I tweaked it. I kind of, I recycled it, so to speak. Yeah. Because um, that other joke I hadn't used in years. Okay. So I just recycled it and just added more freshness to it, so to speak. So I kind of justified to myself that it was <laughs> it was enough that it's it's a new joke. When you say you added more freshness, what more detail do you mean? More, more... detail, um, uh, more punchlines, um, 
because the old joke only had one punchline, we just had a punchline and then something else, to, like a, a backup one. Um, yeah, and just kind of made it more modern. There seems to me in your stuff that I've that I've seen on Live at the Apollo, the stuff I've seen when you gig, a, a trait of yours is a real kind of simplicity. Okay. Does that mean anything to you? I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't mean it as a criticism, but mm. I think your stuff is like it's really, it's really kind of open. Okay. Like you're not. And again, this is going to sound like criticism. But I don't mean it to be. No, that's fine. You're not trying to be too clever. Oh, cool, like cool. something that I end up doing a yeah. lot. I tie myself in knots because I'm trying to do something that's never been thought of like that. <laughs> Every right, time cool, I write cool. a joke, I need to remind myself that I am not trying to write a Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, I want the end to be buried in the beginning and halfway through the joke, I want everyone to realise a, a clue that I left them earlier on. The Matrix of comedy. Exactly, yeah. I don't know why I'm obsessed with this. I think I'm... Well, I, I would hazard a guess after a lot of these types of conversations, um, it's probably something to do with really, I want to point out to the other kids at school that I'm just as clever as they are. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that's, that's where that comes from. But you you don't seem to be uh, hindered by any kind of bullshit like that. Do you know what no, I mean? You no. seem like a uh, like you're a good man and you're a hardworking guy <laughs> with a good work ethic and you write jokes and you deliver the jokes and mm. that's it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, just no, no thrills. No, I just try and be funny, man. Whether it's clever or not, if if it's funny and it makes me laugh, then I go for it. So, what other, what like, what? Who are your favourite comics on the circuit right now? Like non-famous ones. Who do you really enjoy watching? Who do you always come out of the dressing room to watch? Uh, okay, hmm, John Maloney. Yeah. Um. Who else do I come out and watch? What is uh, it about? Let's get specific about John Maloney. What is it that you? Why do you think that you you want to watch him every time? Um, it's just a style. So deadpan, boom, joke. I, I, yeah, I just he's just I don't know. Um, yeah, I just, it's just great jokes and just his style. It's just like just so like there's a joke, boom. Take it, do what you want. Here's another one. Boom. That's it. And he's just he's just great. Solid. Um Andy Askins. Oh man. I gave with Andy Askins at Best of All recently and he just destroyed to yeah. a room full of like gurning twenty year olds. Yeah. He just destroyed. Again, he's quite mellow and deadpan as well. Yeah. I mean he's also got one of the best opening lines in the business. Just think about oh, my name's Andy Askins. I've got absolutely yeah. no charisma. <laughs> I mean, that is genuinely one of the single best opening lines there has ever been. That's up there with Ian Cognito's I'm not the best comic you're ever going to see, but I am the best in my price range. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like the jokes like that to me have, they demonstrate such a, such an exquisite understanding of the the thing that we're all in. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? I don't even yeah. know I can describe it better than that. It's it's almost like some understanding of the human condition. It's just keeping it real. Yeah, yeah, yeah keeping it real. Keeping it real. Yeah, and you're asking me how... Yeah, again, because I just, I just love... I love his style. And it's like... Um, yeah, jokes just keep on coming. And there's no... There's no extra, like, you know, there's no... It's not like a performance, like, dancing around and stuff. It's like, man, from Mike, jokes, boom, 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 boom. And what, what, 
habit, no, what skills do you see in other comedians that you're jealous of? What, what things do you see when you go, I wish I could do that? I wish, you know what I mean? Like, you're aware of your skill set. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think is missing from it that you would love to be able to put in it? Ooh, quite a lot of things, actually. Um, Off-the-cuff stuff, like riffing. You don't, yeah, you don't riff. Do you riff at all? I've started doing it more, like, last Edinburgh show. Well, last Edinburgh show, I, again, I, I don't live off reviews, but I check reviews after Edinburgh. Sure. And they were saying, like, one of my... One this, is, this is a safe place. You can admit <laughs> here. You can admit that you've read the reviews. Damn, Scotsman. <laughs> um, no. um, yeah, the reviews. One thing they said, the one negative thing they said was that I riffed too much at the top. I oh, spent, what? I spent too long chatting to the audience and having some banner and stuff. Yeah. That kind of, like, cut into my material time. Okay. Which That's... Had, had a point, because I did run out of time a lot. Really? I, I was kept on... I don't know. I, I guess I just got into it. Because obviously there's always the characters in the audience stuff. So I spent so much time talking to them <clears throat> that I was like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got a show to do. Yeah. So I only did maybe like 40 minutes. I think that specific bit of criticism belies the fact that comedy journalists or comedy reviewers or critics, whatever you want to call them, um, regularly see 10 shows a day or eight shows a day. Okay. They want you to get on with the stuff. Yeah, Whereas yeah. comedy punters maybe see two shows a day and they're yeah. really happy to be entertained mm. yeah, by a yeah. funny person that's improvising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you always, that's one of the things you're like, okay, that's some level seven learning. Just turn <laughs> up and do the stuff because the people who are going to make big pronouncements about it, they just yeah. want to see this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Just get to yeah. the jokes, man. Don't waste my time. Um, yeah, within, I guess that's something that I'd like to do more. Um, I, I, I look to improve <clears throat> in, um, I look to improve in all aspects of comedy. Cause like you say, you, you never finish learning, do you? You're always like continually evolving and developing and stuff. But, um, yeah, uh, well, um, when I see someone like, um, Ian Stone, for example, like his turnover of material and topical stuff as well, I think, wow, like. I don't. I don't think I turn over as much as much material as that. And I would love to be able to just like yeah. you give him a subject, anything in the news, and he'll have something on it. Yeah. Like I, I do cut an edge sometimes. And yeah, that, the just the turnover of material that those guys have got. It's like oh, cool. Like, do you know? I I've never even seen. I've never even been to the cutting edge okay. because I don't do topical. Mm. So I like. If I think for me, the writing process is so painful. I'm like, why go through all of that to come up with something that's only going to work for a week? You know, I think, I think that's my my fear about it. Um, and I think when I did see it once, I think I saw Alan Cochran do it. He was kind of a, someone I knew before I was a comic. Oh. He was the comic that I knew, um, and. Uh, uh, so I think I, I think I saw it once, but that's but it's like for me it's like watching an improv show where you just go, this is not my skill set. Do you know what I mean? This is like I can I can watch but, this. It's wizardry, but know? it helps you. Like cause I, I I thought like that before I first did Cutting Edge. Um, like when they first offered it to me, I was like, I can't improv and do topical stuff that quick. But kind of it makes you know you've got it coming up. It makes you write stuff and it makes mm. you do it. You're kind of forced into it. Like there's, um, there's one game in a show where um, you walk to the stage and uh, the audience shout out something from the news. It's happened in the last year or so. And soon they shout out and boom, just to do a joke about it or a routine about it. And that it's petrifying, but it makes you do it. You know, you kind of think like, okay, I haven't got anything about that, but what have I got that can relate to it and I can yeah, get okay. to it? That kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it, 
It's scary, but it, it does work. So when you're doing Mock the Week, mm. when you've done Mock the Week, how have you found that? What's your experience been of that show? Um, nowhere near as bad as I anticipated. Okay. What were you expecting? I was expecting a bear pit where I'd get, I'd get bullied and then I'd go back into my changing room and cry in a, <laughs> a fetal position. <laughs> they didn't like me. I, I barely spoke. Um, but no, like, I remember the first time I did it, I got the news that I was going to be on it in Edinburgh. So I was talking to as many comics who had done it as I could. I was like, how is it? What is it like? And they were like, it's, it's fine. Just, um, just talk, you know, just, it's, it's not as bad. And then I remember when I actually, when I got on, on set and they were saying, cause, um, particular com- comedians aren't there anymore. It's easier now to get a word in. And it, it was like, and also it, it helps that a lot of the comedians who I, who I was on with that first time, I'd gigged with on the circuit. Um, I had Mickey Flanagan, um, and like he was headlining the store and stuff. Mm-hmm. I yeah, when I got into like, bigger clubs, he was headlining just before you kind yeah, of broke. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The door. That's, so it's like I had a it bit was of pre-explosion a, Mickey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew him before, so it, it yeah. was cool. And even before we went on to set, he was like, come into my change room. Like, you know, he's, he's like, come into my change room. I'll give you a little talk about how it's going to go. It was lovely. It was like, it was like, it was like, like, again, it's like family kind of thing, like a big brother looking after you. Yeah, right. Uh, Andy Parsons, who I uh, gigged with um, a few times. So that was cool. Who was, uh, I was like, Stuart Francis. Again, who I yeah. gigged with. Chris Addison. Chris Addison, yeah. yeah. Actually, I've never met him before, but he was lovely. He was yeah. friendly. And then Hugh Dennis, who um, I've done a lot of Now Show on Radio 4. Oh, okay. okay. So, again, it helped that I knew a lot of these people. <clears throat> so they were all cool. And then Dial was just like, he was lovely. He was like, listen, is it any point you want to get a word in, but you can't, just give me a look, and I'll stop the traffic for you. Oh, man, what a legend. I love Dara. Yeah. <laughs> He's quality. Absolute quality, man. Um, and that, yeah, that's what happened, man. So it was, it was, it was great. And then since then, um, like, I wouldn't say, not that it's got easier, but it's, it's friendlier. Yeah. Um, like the last time I did it, it was myself, Hugh, Ed Byrne, uh, Ed Gamble, Sarah Pascoe, and, um, Andy Parsons. Yeah. And cause obviously like, I've spent so much time on the circuit, getting with like Ed Gamble and Sarah Pascoe yeah. and stuff. It was like, just chatting with your mates. So, it's it's not the bear pit that, that I expected before I got booked for it. So tell me about your radio series. Is, mm. there, is there going to be more of them? No. Well, the dream, touch word, pray to God, is to transfer it over to TV, um, which I've written a TV script for it and I've kind of, I'm working on it and showing it to people as to see now if any, anything catches the light. Okay. Okay. What was it like to write? Did you write it? No, you wrote it with James Kettle. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Myself and James. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it was a a great experience that I'm grateful that I've had because that before, like, I got offered that Radio 4, so I, I had no idea, and nothing about, I knew nothing about Radio 4. I remember being in a car with um, Michael Fabry and he was talking about Radio 4, and this was like years ago, I was about 20, 21, and I was like, Radio 4, what's that? He's like, they do yeah. comedy. He's like, I had no idea. So now that I've done it, I was like, I see how massive Radio 4 is. I was like, how did I not know this stuff? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's brilliant, man, like, to write for that. Because I, when I first started, I, I wouldn't have considered myself a Radio 4 person. You know, I, don't, I wouldn't have thought my comedy appeals to Radio 4 and stuff. You don't hear young black guys on Radio 4. 
um, but now that I've done it, it's been um, it's been eye opening and it's kind of it's broadened me. Broadened uh, your in terms of your audience, my audience and my writing. Like I don't just write, I don't just write thinking like a young person. I think more more mature now. Okay. Um, yeah, my audience definitely. Like before I did Radio Four, I had a very young audience. And then I did my Radio 4 series. I remember I was doing the stand-up for my second series. And in front row, there were uh, some students. And the next to them were uh, an, an old couple who were in the, in the 70s. And I was like, oh, this is lovely, man. This yeah, cool. yeah. Um, but yeah. Because the, the format of that show is that you do stand-up and mm. then it's linked by yeah. recorded live. The, mm. the sketches? No, no, The no, sketches no. are separate. So you yeah, do separate. all of the stand-up for the whole series? Yeah, the stand-up is, narrates all of the narrative that goes on. Okay. Okay. And so one thing that really struck me from the episodes I've heard is how well it was plotted. Okay. Because I always think when um, when stand-ups go, oh, yeah, I've got a sitcom, I always think, how do you know the first thing about <laughs> writing a sitcom? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, I'm yeah. used to writing stand-up and you get the stuff and you talk about your feelings, and mm. you know what I mean? And you go down that whole rabbit hole. Yeah. And really listening to yours, I was like, oh, that's clever. This That was mentioned earlier and that's come back in yeah. and it's all sort of woven neatly together. <laughs> is that was Did that come from you? Is that something you learned on the job? Or did that come from James? What was the... Um, yeah, I think, I think James at first kind of like he plotted it out and then something that I kind of learned writing with him. So yeah, he kind of, cause he's, he's very good at like making me accessible to radio four. Like okay. I'll write something and be like, okay, say it in this way. Cause that, that will work, you know? Yeah. So it's like, okay, how, like, how, how do I say Wagwan well, on radio four? James? Yeah. <laughs> and he'll be like, like, okay, it's like this. <laughs> um, yeah, he's good at plotting things out. And then yeah, something that kind of, I kind of, Picked up, I was like, oh, that's how you do it. So we kind of did it all together. And um, it's kind of like writing an Edinburgh show. You know, you've got to start in the middle of the end. You know where you want to get. How do you get there? That kind of stuff. I never have to start the middle of the end. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, and when I do, I don't know no, how I want to get No there. one's got into like July 31st. <laughs> <laughs> was, was there anything frustrating about the process? Um, was there stuff that you wanted to do that you didn't get on there or you were told wouldn't work? Yeah, 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 yeah. There was, well... No, it wouldn't work, but it's 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 Radio Four, so there's stuff that you know you obviously can and can't say. Um, that's the frustrating things that you know. So like you have to kind of like dilute it a little, not dilute, but kind of soften it a little bit. Um, so it kind of takes a bit of that. I want to see a bit of harshness um, or a bit of reality away. Um, but it's, I mean, the good definitely outweighs the negatives, so that, that's all cool. Um, but yeah, there are sometimes when like you want to do a certain scene and you can't do it, and so because you know that you know people aren't going to like it or produce someone like it. Um, like actually, do your your mum stuff? Yeah. Um, there was a few more your mums like I do routine about obviously your mum jokes and stuff, and the producer said like, no, that that won't that won't go down well on Radio Four. Um, no, you have to cut out and trim it down and I was like but that's just me I've, I've got a gold mine on your mum yeah, jokes man yeah yeah um, but yeah say la vie and you I, yeah from what we know about Nathan Caton I guess your attitude was say la vie rather than I'm putting my foot down yeah. it's got it's going to be no series what? Unless I, get I can't have it you know what your mum produced yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so we've got to wrap up fairly soon there's a couple of uh uh a couple of little kind of standard uh, com-com questions I'd like to ask you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what we talked about that review of yours um, that said not not that you read reviews, <laughs> um, but we uh, we talked about that uh, that your frustration at them kind of pointing out always oh, too much stuff at you know too much oh, chat too much. At the okay, top. Yeah, oh yeah too much chat um what would you how would you review yourself For... like if you were to be really honest if you were a comedy critic knowing as much as you do about your act yeah what would be your brutally honest review at of the moment right now at the moment right now um can be a bit too rigid sometimes uh yeah kind of sticks to the script sometimes rather than just kind of thinking who cares just do it because sometimes when i do think who cares I just do whatever i'm i'm like I've, I've been going long enough now to handle it so if i do if or something just happened i can go with it. i can roll with the punches but sometimes I'll take the, the safe option um yeah that's interesting pushing yourself out of your comfort zone yeah when you do it god it's great right mm, exactly and then sometimes it isn't so you go i'm not gonna do that again yeah, <laughs> you yeah. don't see especially if you're you know you're a hard-working guy you want your money you don't want to live yeah, your yeah. forever <laughs> do you <laughs> well no is that that's it i was gonna i was gonna ask sorry this is a slight tangent mm. um you you talk a lot on stage about the fact you live your mum's, which i assume is true yeah i'm still I had assumed, having read your blog about house prices and stuff, uh, mm. all available at uh, nathancaton.com, yep, I think. that's me. Um, I'd assumed that that was a financial decision. Is there, is it, are you actually protecting her by still living there? Um, it definitely helps that I'm still here, so I can definitely protect her. Um, maybe a part of me is, because a part of me does think, like I have thought that if, if I do move out, is she going to be all right? How's she going to cope? Obviously, she's got my stepdad there and my little brother, but my, my little brother's only, he's only 20. He's at uni. He's only working part-time, whereas I'm in a position where I'm able to kind of provide and protect. So there's a part of me, even though a lot of it is finance as well, because I don't want to pay rip-off prices in London. But at the same time, it's like, well, what's going to happen to my family? That's, I guess that's one of the reasons why I also haven't moved out of London. Because there's a part of me, like, last year or so, I was toying with the idea of moving out of London completely. Where would so, you go? Um, maybe somewhere just outside of London, which is close to getting, like Oxford, Milton Keynes, Reading, that kind of, somewhere like that. Um, but then I was like, I'm, I'm very close to my family. So I don't know if I, if I really... I mean, the idea, yeah, I can go. But in reality, could I really do it? I, don't know. I mean, you're gigging every night. You could move out and rent on the same street. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. But also, a lot of it is also like finance as well. As I feel bad paying like four hundred thousand for like a, a little tiny flat. Yeah, right. Hmm. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, man. But for the meantime, I'm with my mum. That's beautiful. I think that's sort of a really lovely place to end it. <laughs> I don't know if I sort of make that extra meaningful. But uh, yeah, I'm just sort of interested by that. You're you're good. You're a good man, Nathan. There'd be a lot of be a lot of mums listening to this. I don't know if there'll be any mums listening to this. I mean, normally mums are very young children or babies. And then we go, I'm gonna call my son Nathan. Yeah. And um, then a lot of producers are going, he's not getting a TV show. Yeah. Gosh, he's a grown Mr. Here. Nice Guy. Yeah. Okay. Um last question then. What would you have on your comedy gravestone? You can interpret that question any way you like. Oh, on my comedy your gravestone. Your final message to comedy. 
Um, he was a nice guy, ain't he? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That's it. He was a nice guy, wasn't he? He was all right. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Nice Guy. Mr. Nice Guy. I like it. So that was Nathan. Thank you so much to him for coming onto the show. Thanks to you for downloading it, sharing it with your friends, leaving me fabulous five-star reviews on iTunes and uh, clicking on the individual episodes. You know, now, whenever I post on Twitter that the latest episode has come out, uh, I link to a specific page on the blog of the website uh, so that you can share that page with, uh, with pals and uh, and get them to enjoy the show as well. I've had some lovely emails recently, but I've put them all... I've been chewing through them in my little late night. So, OK, so last night, tell you what, I'll wrap up the podcast now. That was the podcast. Thanks for listening. And we should probably insert some sort of special sting. Did I think about this last time? Did I say it to you or did I just think about it? There should be some, like, waves on a shore or something, just to... If you're just listening to this and sleeping... No, good. I don't want you to crash or run off the road... Um, we'll come up with some sort of a uh, different sting. Perhaps we've already done that by the time you hear this. Who knows? <laughs> um, this is the waffle bit. Thanks for listening to the show. This concludes the podcast. Right. So, oh my God, I'm two, I'm two weeks into fatherhood. What can I say? People say it's over. I've, I've just laid down. You could probably hear the change in my voice. Um, the thing that parents, new parents all say to each other and that existing parents say to new parents, it can be a bit overwhelming, can't it? That word comes up over and over again. Oh, it can be a bit overwhelming. What they mean is you want to jump off a building. It's unbelievable. You've just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm so in love with this little Boutros. And that's not his name. I'm sort of, I want to protect his privacy. I'm not going to put pictures of him on any social media. My partner is, but she's, she's much more stringent than I am in her acceptance of friend requests. And I'm not going to say his, his name, but we've been calling him Boutros or the Boutros for uh, the term, most of the, to the term of the pregnancy. And, uh, and so I still... I forget to actually call him his real name. I call him Boo or Boutros or Boots, none of which was real name. So for you, for us, for the podcast, for the listenership, um, he's uh, he's called Boutros. So I, I'm just in love with him. Someone told me before we had him, they said, oh, when you have a baby, it's like your heart climbs out of your body and crawls along the room and sits there and looks back at you. And that is a vivid and disturbing metaphor, but it's not wrong. I'm so in love with him. But listen, I say that because I, being me, feel that when I, when I, I got to set up, hey, guys, I definitely love him. It's all definitely great. Jesus Christ, talk about a game changer. I see now why all of you lovely, a lot of dads, I've had emails from a lot of dads who've said things like, just relax, we can wait. Someone said today, a, guy, a lovely guy called Jeff I've been emailing uh, with, he, uh, he said, um, Take your foot off the gas. We can wait for another episode. Just enjoy this time. I, I really appreciate the, the emails that you guys uh, and a few ladies have been sending as well. What I think, I think what's happened is that men want to send other men. Dads want to send new or prospective dads an email that basically says, oh boy, you've got no idea. And then they, you become a dad and they send you an email that says, see, it's unbelievable. It's like suddenly the perspective already, already I'm a parent already. I, I, it's terrifying how fast I become a parent. I've literally got sick on my cords. How much of a dad sentence is that? Um, and of course, all the way, I've got this little thing bubbling away in the back of my head going, you can't just write a show about being a dad. I don't want to see a, I don't want to see the, the dad show. So I've got to notice things that aren't to do with this little guy. 
But there is something, so I'll, I'll let off steam here, if you'll forgive me. There is something about the way, the speed, the terrifying velocity with which I have become, oh, I'm a dad now, and any guy, any man that hasn't had kids, I completely look down on you. You have got no idea. You've got no idea. I love, I mean, I'm so pleased for you with your problems and your lack of sleep and your partying and your, your gallivanting. I, you know, and and I'm sure it's tough. You must sometimes you must have to get up and and uh, and you must be really tired. You've got no fucking idea. You've got no idea. And this is me two weeks in. So admittedly, I'm doing this stuff going, well, we've got no routine. They'll become a routine, but then the routine will constantly be broken. And I I've uh, I was emailing Jimmy McGee. Oh, fantastic. Jimmy McGee's yet yet to come on the show. He's too scared. But he's uh, a dear friend of mine and an excellent comic. But Jimmy I've just, you, Jimmy, he's, he will be the first to admit that he gallivants. And uh, I now instantly feel so superior to him simply because he's got no idea. I think it must be like, it must be like suddenly becoming a woman or suddenly becoming an ethnic minority, whereby you would suddenly you look at the rest of the world uh, the ethnic majority, if that awful phrase exists, or men, and and you just suddenly you see it from this completely different perspective of going, oh, you're yeah, oh, well, absolutely, your problems must be huge, you must have real problems. My heart bleeds because you don't fucking know, man. So that's am I talking about feminism through the lens of fatherhood? Mm, I don't know if I am. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm not. Sort of the beginnings of an idea. And funnily enough, I thought that last night. This is, I don't want this ramble to be entirely specious. Um, this section, let, let alone this one. But let's talk about process. I was thinking that would be quite a fun way to talk about fatherhood whilst not talking about fatherhood. And uh, this obviously will be in the, the tailwind of Bridget Christie and the brilliant way that she, the, the, the example I always remember of Bridget is the way she talked in her show uh, Ant, oh, Ant, A Ant, it's called A Ant, which I loved. And this is sort of pre-explosion Bridget. Um, she, she hasn't been in an explosion. <laughs> this is pre, before her profile blew up, Bridget. She did this brilliant routine, which I think we talked about when she was on this show about how she did a routine where she was an ant and she was complaining that it was really difficult for ants in comedy because you kept getting asked questions about being an ant in comedy. And I was watching it and got it. Obviously, she's talking about women, but never says so. And it was a difficult bit of material on the, on the night or the afternoon that I saw it. About 25% of us were killing ourselves laughing and the others were sort of going, why is she talking about ants? I'm wondering whether I could, I could pull off a reverse Bridget, a reverse Christie, and appear to be talking about feminism, but actually be talking about fatherhood. That'd be quite interesting because the difficulty there is, good God, everyone's talking about feminism now. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't mean that to be negative. God, we're getting enough of this bloody feminism. I mean, purely from the point of view of a comic being on a bill of, of acts doing new material and seeing like seven acts on the night refer either in passing or for the most part of their sets to feminism I want to talk about it. I want to talk about the impact it has on my life and the fact that this is a small, there's a small and tangible change that we as feminists can effect in the world. Like doing material about it, that definitely helps the cause. But at the same time, everyone's talking about it. It's become, I wouldn't dream of calling it hack, but it's become commonplace. It's like this year. You remember in, you remember in 2009 when everyone did graphs, 
it's feminism has been, you know, it, it's becoming a component of people's shows. So it would almost be quite fun to subvert that by being able to talk about the surface being about feminism. And then the actual thing that I was really talking about being fatherhood and the way in which you have a perspective of the world that is radically different when your eyes are opened to being a father in the same way as that moment, which for me happened pathetically recently of seeing the the video of the woman walking down the street in New York getting catcalled. And I, that was a huge, I'm not saying I, you know, oppressed women before that deliberately. Um, but I, that was a huge eye opening moment for me whereby I realised, oh, yeah, because I don't treat women like that. And no one I know, no one I hang out with treats women like that in front of me. So I don't see it happen. And and then you recognise that not only does it happen from the perspective of any woman, it happens all the fucking time. I'm preaching they're converted here. You're all sensible, morally sound people with a, a, a decent idea of how the world works. But that it's like if someone told me I, I have never run a marathon and I never intend to, but it's like if you apparently when you're a marathon runner, everyone claps the entire time because whenever they see you, they clap. Right. So from the point of view of the runner, clap, 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 clap the whole time. From the point of view of the police, I've often thought they probably think everyone drives at 68 miles an hour because whenever we see a policeman, we speed up to uh, or slow down to 68 miles an hour. Mm, I'm fine. I'm fine. So that was my that video really made me go, oh, my God, from the point of view of the other side of the fence, it's that constantly. And just because I don't ever see it doesn't mean it's not there and that it's not happening in this sort of awful, awful, repetitive way. So here's the case. Can I talk about that on a surface level making, you know, I don't want to make a point. That's not what jokes my jokes are about. But that might be a really funny lens through which to then the reveal is that I'm actually or they could catch on to the fact that what I'm talking about is fatherhood and my reaction now to I've sort of said the same thing in several different ways you can see where I'm going with this but there we go that, that might be an interesting an interesting view into a little a little peek into how my mind works you may have heard me said say this before I already the other way my mind works is going Stu just do stupid jokes because that's what you're funniest with stop trying to have a clever narrative arc and a through line and not just narrative because we you know i try and ditch that every time it never works ditching it never works but not just not just narrative specifically stop trying for your every comedy show to be like the film memento i wish i'd never seen the film because it just made me want to have every show that i write have a big moment at the end where everyone goes oh he meant that the whole time oh now i get it god's juice clever why do i why am I obsessed with this idea that I in it in order why why does every comedy show I do have to be an incredibly uh, clever heist? <laughs> why can't it just be a show? So anyway, that's where my process is at at the moment. I mean, it's quite it's quite possible that the cocktail of no sleep and all these endorphins and this uh, oxy oxy ox, oxytocin. I always want to say oxyacetylene, and that really is a welding gas. Um, all of these uh, these kind of love drugs you get when you have a baby, they could well be addling my brains. That's where I'm at now. He's so lovely. What did I start off saying? He's so great. Yes, that was a, that was a prelude. He's so lovely. I love him to bits. But Jesus Christ, overwhelming isn't the word. Just the the, the pressure it puts on your mind. The 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 fact that you go, oh, I haven't left the house all day, and then naturally 
I don't know if your mind works like this, me being me, I immediately think, oh, right, I never get to leave the house again. <laughs> like, I take any tiny thing that happens to me, magnify it enormously and go, oh, this is the new reality. This is what I'm thinking. Oh, am I, am I cold at the moment? Oh, I, I suppose I better be, get used to being cold for the rest of my life. Oh, there's a drip in the ceiling. Oh, well, that's, that's it. The house just drips now, you know? I mean, it doesn't now because we paid £110 to an emergency plumber who, for a job that I genuinely could have done myself. Oh, so frustrating. Is there always, this is like the third or fourth one of these I've done at the end of a show, is there always some element of me being angry in them? Because maybe this is a really good opportunity for me to vent. Uh, maybe, this, maybe this is the most useful element of this, is that, is that I can just get cross with a plumber. God, he was so friendly. He shook my hand about five times. I think if anyone shakes your hand five times, it means they're ripping you off. Either it's either it's like them trying to convince you they're a they're a good guy or it's them knowing in their heart that they're a bad person and they're kind of trying to socially make up for it in a way that they don't even realise. Five handshakes, 110 quid. If it was 100 quid, I could have worked out. Oh, uh, 22, 22. So <laughs> 22 pounds per handshake is what my point was. I think I'm losing my mind. He's so beautiful, though. Little Boudros. Um, you're going to take my word for it. You're not going to, you're going to take my word for it. You're, uh, you're not going to see him anytime soon, I don't think. Unless we're going to try and... If you come to the Bristol show, you might get to meet him because I think uh, his mum is going to try and smuggle him in. In a... I've just realised there's material in the show about babies being in a papoose wearing ear defenders. And I think to get him into the show, we're going to have to dress him like that. This is like... Uh, oh... It's not like anything. <laughs> it's, what is it like? Uh, what's the word? What's the word for when something you do in a, a stand-up comedy routine becomes part of your life? Is there a word for that? Because I have recently been editing my 2014 show uh, audio recording for the show Extra Life, and I'm going to release it soon. I'm going to release it simultaneously on Bandcamp uh, with Break Glass, which is Break Glass in Case of Emergency, which is now almost finished. I've heard a, a rough cut of that uh, yesterday. It's superb. So those things are going to go up simultaneously. Uh, Break Glass is going to be free. My show is going to be like three quid or whatever you want. Um, and I was listening to the show, Extra Life, and spoiler alert, it's all about how desperate I am to have a baby. So this is 2013-14 Goldsmith talking about wanting to have a baby and I was editing it with the actual baby in my arms as I was doing it and there probably doesn't need to be a word for that because it it's probably not going to come up that often that'll do for now thanks for listening these might get a bit longer I suppose the only problem for people that don't want to hear them is uh, is additional megabyteage but uh, you know what if the interviews are good and they bloody are good. I listened back to that Mark Steele one the other day. But my, if I do say so myself, what an excellent interview that was. God, I really enjoyed that. I don't get the chance to listen back to many of these. Um, you know, unless I'm specifically doing research, I've got to, I'm, I'm forging on to the next thing. That Mark Steele, he's great, isn't he? Anyway, like I said, losing my marbles. Thanks for listening. Um, bye for now. <laughs> Thank you. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.